0: You're listening to Christ is King, all of him in all of life from Rivertown Church in Brattleboro, Vermont. This podcast is part of our ongoing mission to be disciples who make disciples of Jesus for the glory of God and the joy of all peoples. For more information, visit RivertownChurch.org. May the Lord bless you in the hearing of his word. Good morning. If you've got a Bible, go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 5. It's where we're going to start. We're going to be a little bit all over the place this morning. It is good to be with you and to see so many faces with a bug going around and different people calling out sick and glad that you have been scathed for momentarily at least. Um, So we are continuing in our series Christ is king. We're looking at the preeminence of Christ over all of life. He is the creator and the sustainer of life. And how he has designed the world has been rebelled against by most of the world. And we have a natural bent in our sinful nature to rebel against his design. And so we've looked at his lordship over us individually with our time and with our money and the way that we live before him in everyday life. We've been, over the last few weeks, looking at Christ being king in the home, specifically over marriage. And So a few weeks ago, David preached a message on Christ being king over the marriage covenant, and then two weeks ago, I did a message on Christ as king over husbands. And today, we're going to look at Christ being king over wives. Now, I do want to highlight some notes from previous weeks in case you weren't here, and I commend those messages to you for a groundwork, um, so that especially men in the room, if you missed the message on husbands, then um, you would have been probably getting prodded a little bit, if not with an elbow with eyes, uh, so refrain from doing so today without listening to that message first. Um, but I want to set up where we're going today with some recap of those messages so that we're on the same page. So in David's message on the covenant of marriage, we, f- we saw from Scripture that a, a wife originated when God saw the aloneness of Adam and he wanted to make a helper who was fit for him. And so that is what a wife is, is a opposite yet complementary helpmate to her husband. And David emphasized in that message of truth that she is equal to her husband in dignity and value and worth. The fact that wives and husbands have different roles and responsibilities does not change the fact that before God they're made in the image of God and share dignity and personhood before God because of that. But that they do have roles and responsibilities that are intrinsic to our God-given genders. And David helpfully in that message gave us the Trinity as an example of how you can have different roles within the essence of one God. There is one God and he's equal in his persons and yet there are different roles and responsibilities within the Trinity. The Father is the one who sends forth the Son that he loves and the power of the Spirit who he's anointed him with. Uh, With regard to the work of redemption as an example, the Father appoints and the Son accomplishes and the Spirit applies the work that Christ has done in our hearts. And so there's different roles within the Godhead while he is one God and three persons. Two weeks ago, I made a reference to the cultural objection to authority just everywhere you go and in our own hearts. The objection to authority is an extension of the world's rejection of God's authority. And we have to keep this in view today uh, with today's message. The lie of the devil bought wholesale by the world that hates God and hates his authority is that authority is both a defining marker of worth or value and that it is intrinsically, intrinsically dangerous or evil. And if that doesn't make sense to you, then you're on the tr- <laughs> we're on the right track, right? That it is both a defining marker of value and it should be shunned and flattened everywhere where it's well when we don't have it that's at the heart of our stance towards authority is that it should be lusted after if we don't have it but people see it as oppressive and needing to be flattened and shared christian women can by their godly conduct and by their righteous words and by their example stand as a glorious resistance to the onslaught against womanhood and being a godly wife that is prevalent in our day. There's a fight against women and God's design for them that claims that your truest identity or your truest freedom is found either in rejecting men or in becoming like a man, that that, that is where value or freedom will be found. And specifically in regards to the home, It is you have worth or value if you have an equal role with your husband. And that authority in the home means that you are lesser than. And so in the world, it's I don't need no man. But the Christian version of that in the home is, well, but the preceding verses calls for there to be mutual submission. And so husbands, I mean, wives submitting to their husbands doesn't actually mean what it meant 2,000 years ago because we just live in a different time and space. And so really and truly, that doesn't apply anymore. It's, it's the same light,'s repackaged and Christianized and fed to the church. But as we will see, this is a fruit of the curse of sin in the world. And it's as old as sin and the consequence of sin in the world so the main point for today, before we pray and get started, so you know where we're going, is that wives are to magnify Christ as they respect and submit to their own husbands and do the good that God has called them to for their families. I'll reread that. Wives are to magnify Christ as they respect and submit to their own husbands and do the good that God has called them to for their families. We're going to go to a few passages this morning to look at the consistency and the prominence of the command for, from Christ for wives to submit to their husbands, and then we'll go to another briefly to glean from Paul what the normative conduct of a godly wife should be as she seeks to honor God and to love her husband and her children. And I will preface this at the, at the beginning by saying this is a message two wives for the whole church. And so men and single ladies, this message is for us. The Bible is going to be open and we're looking at God's design for marriage and for wives and we're going to see things about Christ and his design that apply to all of us. And so let's pray as we dive in. Lord Jesus, as we talk about your lordship over all of life and us as a church wanting to submit ourselves to your lordship, there are uh, ways that you have designed the world to work that fly in the face of the messaging we get every day from the world, and this is certainly one of those. And so I pray for your grace today, that where we differ from what your word says, that we would change. And I pray for every wife in this room, every woman who longs to be a wife in this room, for husbands of wives who seek to lead them well. Lord, I pray that you would give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying to your church, And I pray that we would not merely accept your design, but delight in it and see it as good. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first thing we are looking at today, and we're starting, we're going to get to Ephesians 5, is God's design and the beauty of meek submission. God's design and the beauty of meek submission. Submission. The first instance of not good we read from Genesis is the aloneness of Adam. When God sees that Adam is alone and he says, It is not good. He had created everything and said, This is good, this is good, this is good. And then he saw Adam being alone without a wife and he said, It is not good for the man to be alone. And so God created a helper who was fit for him as the crowning work in creation and Really creating as a capstone on creation its greatest beauty, a wife for a man. Proverbs 18, 22 says, He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. So I just want to say that at the outset, that a wife is a good thing. And it, she is a gift from God for a husband, she is a gift to be found but she's a gift. It's, it's not earned, it's found. that a, a, a Christian man is to go and find a God-fearing woman and make her his wife, and it's a good thing from the Lord, a good gift. Proverbs 31, verse 10 through 12 says, An excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. So I would say, sisters, this is what you're after. So we talk about what does it mean to be a God-fearing wife, or to live as a wife under the lordship of Christ? You, you want to be an excellent wife. And this passage says, "That's rare. I, I thought normally, I, so full disclosure, not being a wife, uh, I don't spend a lot of time meditating on these verses about being a godly wife unless I'm talking to wives. And so it struck me this week looking at this that he's saying it's, it's an excellent wife, a strong, valiant wife who is hard to find. But that's the goal. That should be your desire as a godly woman to be not just a wife, But an excellent wife, a wife who does her husband good and who is trustworthy and loves him with lifelong faithfulness in a way that's precious to him and is precious to the Lord. So there's this intimate companionship in marriage, this partnership. The greatest gift or the primary good that a wife gives to her husband is not outward service, but a disposition of heart that respects him as her authority and the authority in their home to submit to him. So submission is not just an automatic, I'll just say yes to whatever he says, but a, a posture of your heart that wants to respect him, wants to yield to him and to his authority and leadership in your life and in the home. Now, I'm, I'm breaking this we're spending most of our time in this message on wives around submission and i will tell you why in a moment and then hopefully we have time to get to other ways that this plays out in your life but it is because when there is opportunity for there to be one command given to wives in the scriptures this is the one that surfaces and there is a specific reason why so we're going to get to that but I want to lay this out where we're going so that you don't get lost or uh, you're in this message without a compass or don't know where we're going. So we're going to look at the problem of submission and then the picture of submission, what, what it is, the persuasiveness of submission, and uh, then we're getting to the posture of submission. So first, the problem. And the problem is David read it in our reading of the law that there is the curse of sin in the world, and because of that, a natural bent against submission. So I'll read this verse again for us in Genesis 3.16. This is God speaking to the woman. He said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. So the curse of pain and childbirth, to any woman who's had a child, she says, yes, amen. I I see that. That is a real curse. And I have felt it. It's felt every bit like a curse. But the second curse of sin on women that's true of Eve and all of her daughters since is more subtle, more insidious, maybe less obvious to you. And God phrases it like this, your desire shall be for your husband or the ESV says shall be contrary to your husband. It's the same language that God uses to tell Cain that sin's desire is for him. It, it is a desire that is against him. So he's saying you're going to want to rule your husband and to lead him. You're going to want to push back against his leadership. God's telling Eve and all of her daughters after her that they will have a natural or sinful desire as a result of sin in the world. I don't know what's happening with this. Elijah, let me know if you can help me. Um, there's You're going to naturally be born wanting to upend God's created design, his natural order in the world, the way that he has orchestrated or designed the home. You're going to want to have your husband's Authority—it's what makes just even the room kind of recoil when I say submission. At the heart of a woman, when you say submission, it's—and the heart of men who want to defend them—it's—it's it's, it's as, a, as a result of sin in the world and warping the authority of men and abusive authority for sure, but also just even without that, uh, the one of the ways that sin has warped the hearts of women is to reach back against the idea of being led by their husbands. So the command that husbands most need to hear, and we talked about it weeks ago, the most prevalent command in Scripture, you look anywhere where husbands are being exhorted in light of the gospel, in light of what Christ has done, and we want to live a new and a holy life as new creations, the most prevalent command to husbands is husbands love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Lead them and love them in a way that is rich with Christ's own humility in the fear of God as a man under authority. Do not be domineering, do not be harsh. Love them and lead them like Christ loves the church. The command that wives most need to hear is that you are not the husband. And you need to submit to your husband as your leader and as the leader of your house for the glory of Christ. So, there's the problem. is the recoil that you feel when I say that. Stand by. I apologize for that. Can you guys hear me? Okay. So, Submission, even for a godly Christian woman, is going to be seen as a negative thing if you're only thinking about the roles within marriage horizontally. So you're thinking about your husband and his role and you and your role, and you think this is not fair because authority seems like the best thing. It seems like the most valuable thing. So if you're called to submit yourself to your husband's authority, that feels unsafe. It feels dangerous. It feels... Uh, unfair, and it doesn't make any sense, and I'll go along with it because Jesus said to, but I don't like it. And where God wants to bring us to is a glad submission and a glory in his design and what it's for. And the picture of what marriage is and what submission is for is what can help you get there. So Ephesians 5, beginning in verse 22, And then you drop down to verse 33 when he's offering a recap of everything he said about husbands and wives. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So you see these twin commands of submit to your own husband. This is not a call of wives in the church to submit to all the husbands of the church. It's wives submit to your own husbands as unto the Lord and see to it that a wife respects her husband. In his letter to the Colossian church, Paul only includes one exhortation to wives. And it's this, in verse, chapter 3, verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. And so, you see from both of these passages, there's these twin commands for wives to submit to and to respect their own Husbands. The submission of a wife to a husband, these passages highlight, is to be a picture of the church's own submission to Christ. This picture of Christ in the church is why God designed marriage in the first place. This is what marriage is for. And so, what a husband is for, we talked about a couple of weeks ago is to image to the world what Christ's love for his church looks like in the way that he loves and lays down his life for his bride and to be a picture of the way that Jesus Christ loves and leads his church. So a wife in this picture is to be a picture of the faith-filled submission to Christ of the church. That is why God designed Wives, And so it is fitting, Paul says, and proper and appropriate It's honoring to God when wives submit to their husbands like they're submitting to Christ. Now, I'm gonna pause because this is not just a picture of the church's own submission to Christ, but wives have a unique opportunity to image Christ to the church and image Christ to the world around us. And so, wives, I want to point you to Christ's submission to the Father, Christ's own humility and submission as the source of all godly submission, that your life has an opportunity to be like a window that is see-through to Christ's likeness, the way that Christ humbled himself before the Father and submitted himself perfectly without sacrificing any of his personhood or any of his deity. Christ did not lose his worth or his worthiness as the eternal Son of God when he submitted himself to the Father and played the role of perfect obedience all the way to the point of death, even death on a cross. And don't we see this this with him being as the Lamb of God, that his glory is uniquely seen, not in spite of his submission to the Father, but because of it. So here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that husbands are like God the Father and wives are like Jesus Christ And because husbands are sinful. They cannot just be unquestioningly yielded to. We'll get to that in a moment. But I am saying that it is because of Christ's meek submission to the Father that God highly exalted him to the highest place and that meek submission, that trust in God, is christ-like and as he's conforming us to the image of christ this is what the church learns to do and learns to be and godly women increasingly embrace this call of god on their lives to have a posture of meek submission towards the authority of their husbands that they did not have when they were dead in their sins before christ took up residence in their hearts I was talking to Kayla about this, and she said that she thinks one of the things that's most helpful to her to think about in this is that Christ like submission is not a response to my worthiness or my respectability, so that if I am acting in a way that is honorable or mandates her respect, then she will give it to me. But it is a vertical gift that she is giving to God. In response to his worth and a gift that she is offering to Christ as a disciple of Christ and so uh, this is not mean ladies that uh, this is what Christ's example of submission shows us your submission to your husband does not mean that you are secondary in importance or worth in the home or in your partnership in your union You're united with your husband and have become one flesh. He's called to lay down his life for you and to serve you and to love you like Christ loves the church. It is to be a place where this kind of submission happens gladly and he defers to you and you defer to him and there's partnership and joy and gladness. But in the end, you are under the safety and the protection of him being responsible for you and and having authority over you and over the home in a way that is safe and God-honoring and demonstrates the relationship that Christ and his church have. So this is a question for you with regards to this picture. Wives, does your submission to your husband, it's communicating something to the church and to the world about the way the church ought to submit to Christ. It's what marriage is for. It is a picture. It's telling a story. And so does the way that you honor and respect and submit to your husband tell the truth to the church about the way that she should honor and respect and submit to Christ? That's, if I could have wives walk away with one question to go discuss and to talk through and to say, okay, well, what does this look like for us so that the church, as we walk in fellowship with each other, does the church have an accurate picture of what it looks like to respect and honor and submit to Christ by my own honor and respect and submission to my husband? So it's a big question, and I know wives are probably feeling it. What about when my husband is not obeying Christ? What about when my husband is not playing his role well where he's laying down his life for me and he's demonstrating to me the love of Christ, am I still called to play this picture if he's not playing his part? What about if my husband's not a believer or if he's being passive in the home and is not acting respectively? Now, if the husband's laying down his life for his wife, like Christ loves and serves the church, then he should be a joy to follow. I'm not saying that you wouldn't still have a natural bent towards not following him, that you would have to crucify and put to death. But we're all sinful. And so we all have a bent of tending towards ourselves and going our own way. So your husband's going to screw up the picture of loving you like Christ loves his church. And then what? What are you to do? So I want to say as a caveat before we go into the persuasiveness of submission, that in the case of abuse, this is not this universal, you need to submit to your husband and you need to obey him and be quiet, and then if he's being abusive or domineering, then you just need to honor him and wait it out. If your husband is being domineering, harsh, or abusive, you need to come to the church and he needs to be dealt with by the appropriate authorities and by the leadership of the church, in the context of church discipline, so wives must be physically safe. So there's been a lot of teaching in the church that gets misconstrued, and then the church has handled wrongly a lot of abuse cases inside of the church or abuse in the homes. So we are going to deal with cases of abuse by taking them to proper authorities and I am not saying that if your husband is being abusive that you just need to pray and wait it out so hear me say that but if your husband is not a believer or is not being obedient to the word Peter writes that the way that you submit to and honor your husband anyways has a persuasive power this is the persuasiveness of submission respectful and pure conduct of a wife you can flip over with me a few pages to your left, to First Peter. First Peter chapter 3. Again, Peter writing, wi- likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, They may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, that's that's what wins them to Christ. It wins them to obedience to the word. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold or jewelry or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. So see the picture that the relationship between Christ and his church is to be mirrored by a relationship between a husband and his wife, and that wives have an opportunity to image Christ in his own humble submission but also to image to the church of the, how the church is called to obey Christ. Here we see that even if a husband's not playing his role and not being obedient to the word, that wives, your humble submission to your husband can have a persuasive power to win him to Christ. The way to win your husband should be, who should be obeying the word is through your own obedience to the word. And this is hard. Through your submission to your disobedient husband. Now, we know from the book of Acts, Peter and John say, Look, we must obey God rather than men. And so, if your husband is leading your family in a way that is sinful or it's against the rule of God or the law of God, then you ought to respectfully make it plain that you are called to submit to him and you want to. But you must obey God rather than men. That you cannot go in a way that is sinful or would violate your conscience and that you are called to obey God first. But if your husband is leading your home and he's not leading in a way that is sinful, then you honor God and God's authority by submitting yourself to the authority of your husband, even if he's not obeying the word. And even if your husband is wrong, You will be right by choosing to honor God and choosing to do what he says in submitting yourself to your own husband. And Peter says, this is pure conduct. Literally, this is holy conduct. And you can feel it. You can feel it in the room right now that this is holy conduct because it is so otherworldly. And God is holy and different than us. His ways are not as our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And so, because this is so different than the world that you swim in and what you read online and what is promoted out there, it sounds so different and weird and strange. And Peter says, Yes, it is pure and it is holy. It's Christ like. And it's only accomplished by Christ in you, the one who went all the way to death on a cross and went doing so with, in meek submission under the authority of wicked men. And he went all the way so that he could redeem a people for his own possession. This is pure conduct and it's holy conduct. And then Peter gets into the posture of submission, adorning yourself with a gentle and quiet spirit. Uh, you can look at verse 3 some translations say don't let your adorning be merely external right so the focus is not on your outward beauty and on your outward appearance but let your focus your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which in god's sight is very precious so this is where again we're talking about this vertical gift to god When you cannot see the worth of a gentle and quiet spirit as you're looking at your husband who's not obeying the word, you see the value of it as a precious gift to God. And because he says it's precious, you say it's worth it. This is not muting a woman's personality or limiting her gifts. In context, this is a wise and a holy and a fearless woman who fears only God who's strong and courageous. So this is not saying you need to be quiet and mousy and just don't open your mouth. This is not so much about your personality, but your posture and disposition towards God and his authority and towards your husband and his authority. Gentle means meek and humble. It's literally the same word we talk about often when we talk about being meek before God. It's power under control. Anytime you see a godly woman described in the Bible, you can see that that's what it is. This is a strong, competent, godly, wise woman who submits herself to the leadership of God and to the leadership of her husband, even where you're smarter or more competent than he is. And husbands can say, which is maybe in a lot of areas, right? But you you recognize there's roles and responsibility and there's a partnership. And so, you're bringing your gifts to the table to be led by your husband. This term for quiet means undisturbed from without. So this is not a timidity, and it's not a repressed skill set or repressed personality. It's a heart that's resting in God by faith. And this is important, not taking control into its own hands. So we talk about quiet. It's the opposite of kind of an an anxious attempt at control, an anxious attempt to accomplish things with your own strength or your own wisdom. It's It's a wise stillness with a bent to listening and with an intent to follow and to yield. So here's an example, just real practically. Wives, you could be perfectly competent to take over the the planning and control of family affairs. You can handle all things, spiritual leadership, calendar, budget, kids' schedules, schooling. And you are called to bring those gifts and skills to the table and submit them to the leadership of your husband. And in partnership, he causes those things to be used and to flourish and for you to excel in those things for the leadership of your home in partnership with him, not in isolation from him. So rather than there being two silos, two islands where people lead based on their own strengths and giftedness as if they both had equal authority to lead in the home, a wife comes to her husband and there's partnership with an ultimate submission to his leadership and to his authority and he causes those things to flourish. If you're seeking to lead everything so that there's no felt need for your husband's leadership. Or if you're creating a scenario where you would push back against him seeking to lead, you're setting the table for conflict. Because here's what could happen. We, we do a message on husbands and wives and you guys say, wow, we need, to, we need to reorient some things in our home. And you go to your husband and you say, I really want you to lead. I really want you to say, let's. I, I, I know that... Maybe you feel insecure or scared or unable to, but I want you to lead. Or a husband is convicted about his need to lead and sees his responsibility that, that he has ultimate responsibility for the protection and the care of his wife and his children, and so he steps out and seeks to lead. Um, but you guys aren't on the same page. It, if you are constantly leading as a wife, And not creating room, not inviting him in to lead, then he may try to be like, you know what, that's true, I should be leading. And so he steps out to do it, and if you don't make way for him to, or if you push back against his leadership, you're only going to invite him seeking to be domineering or harsh or trying to enforce his leadership, right? But both of these things are commands from God to the individual, Husbands cannot make their wives submit to their leadership and wives cannot make their husbands lead. Just like Christ does not make us obey, he calls us to obedience. Husbands call their wives to follow their leadership and seek to lead in a way that lays down their lives in service of their wives and their children. But wives, you have to make sure that you are not enabling your husband's passivity by taking leadership of everything yourself because you can, because you're able to. You are called to be his helper and to help him lead in a way that honors God. And, so in, and you're called to do so with a fearless faith that hopes in God and delights to help your husband. And so a gentle and quiet, quiet spirit means you're not anxious or controlling. You're not trying to make things happen by the force of, your personality or by pressuring him right it's kind of it can be a low-grade pressuring or it can be a nagging or it can be an argumentative spirit and it can be seeking to control things rather than humbly waiting on the lord for him to move and this is a call to husbands and wives that you are called to husbands lead your family into this kind of godliness in the home And to pray and seek God's face for this to happen and to partner with each other in ways that you can be more obedient. So I think really Christ-honoring conversations would be for you two to sit down together and to say, husbands, you lead, lead in the conversation and you say, I'm called to lead you and to love you like Christ loves the church. That looks like protecting and providing for you physically and spiritually. How can I do these things better? Where do you see a felt desire for me to lead you better spiritually, for me to provide for you spiritually, for me to protect you spiritually, for me to lead in the home? What would it look like for me to say, let's do this, and for me to take the initiative? And for you guys to have a conversation around what it would look like for him to lead better in the home. And then for the wife to in turn say, where do you feel like I challenge your leadership or where I take leadership and try to control things on my own apart from you? Do you feel like I disrespect you? What are ways that I can be more respectful to you and your role as the leader of our home? And so there's not this, if you take these messages in isolation and you you take God out of it or a conversation out of it, you can both just continue to be islands trying to figure it out on your own instead of working together for your own sanctification and saying, How can we improve so we have a more God-honoring culture of leadership and submission in our home that reflects Christ and his church? So wives, if your husbands are not obeying the word, don't underestimate the power of prayer and waiting on God to do what pressure or passive aggression cannot do. And I would point you to, uh, for further study, I think Kayla said she thinks this would be great to do in a ladies' group. Uh, maybe a couple of ladies could get together and do this. I think it would be a fascinating study. To contrast the loud and the boisterous woman of Proverbs 7 and the, the one who despises God's authority and flaunts her own and the excellent wife of Proverbs 31. To, to contrast folly and wisdom in the scriptures that are both personified as women, what it would look like to be... A foolish wife and a wise wife. What would it look like to, in contrast to uh, womanhood that the world promotes as this is what a woman is, versus here's what God calls us to in biblical femininity and biblical womanhood. So, wives in this church, I I have been praying for you because. You are. If, if anything is swimming upstream in culture, this is it. And I have been praying for you that you would not just see this as an unfair command from Christ, but a delight to follow him in his own humble submission and to delight in a way that you could image Christ to an onlooking world and that you could be a picture to the church. Church, follow me as I follow Christ in this. I want you to follow me. This is what it looks like to respect and honor leadership. I know how to be one under authority. So second and way faster, wives should strive to honor God as they love and serve their husbands and children. So the the first is wives uh, for God's design and the beauty of meek submission and here we have wives should strive to honor God as they love and serve their husbands and children. And we can't. We, we can't spend as long here. If there's submission, if there's only one opportunity for Paul to call wives to obedience in one thing, this is what he says. And it's also the most culturally fought against and most misunderstood in the church. So we have to spend the most time there. But we saw it two weeks ago. That a husband follows Christ's example in being the servant-hearted master of his home, and he lays down his life to love and to serve his wife and his children. And similarly, wives are to be an example of the Lord Jesus in laying down their lives to love and serve their families under the loving leadership of the Lord Jesus and the loving leadership of their husbands. So you can turn to Titus chapter 2. Flip to your left just a bit. Titus chapter 2. This is famous instruction from Paul to Titus describing to the generations in the church. For older men, here's what you need to do and how you need to live. How you ought to live to adorn the gospel of Christ. This is what accords with sound doctrine. And in verse 3, when he gets to older women, he said, Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. And so we cannot spend a long time here, but what I want to say is there's a lot at stake when we talk about this picture of Christ in the church. And when Paul says, wives, you ought to submit to your husbands in everything and as to the Lord, and he adds to Timothy, so that the word of God may not be reviled, that this is an opportunity for you to uphold the plan and design and word of God as good and worth submitting to now, he addresses first older women, and it's beautiful because it's a target for younger women to aim at. So if you don't know who you are, older women or younger women, it's what he addresses to older women is good for younger women to aim at. It's what you're training to, toward. And so he tells older women, be holy in your behavior, not slaves to much wine, not gossips or slanderers. And so there's, there's a godliness that has Accompanied a, a lifetime of sanctification where women that are spiritually mature in the church know how not to gossip about young ladies, not to slander them, but to teach them, to train them. Show them how to intentionally live as godly wives and godly mothers. So I'm addressing older women in the church or or women that have walked with Jesus for a long time. So maybe you don't consider yourself an older woman, but older woman but you've been walking with Christ for a while. Young wives or spiritually young wives and moms, we're not spending time on moms today. Young wives need living examples from women in the church. This is especially important when So much of discipleship and training these days happens online. And so, again, not primarily talking about moms right now, but women ought to have training from older women in the church for how to be wives and moms as a living, breathing example that they can go over to their house and see and touch or they can invite over for coffee or tea and have conversations as opposed to going online and getting all your tips for being a wife and a mom from Instagram influencers or mommy blogs, which are not bad in and of themselves, but if that is the drip feed of where you're getting your counsel for how to be a godly wife and a mom, then we're missing the life and life discipleship that God's designed for the church. And I've had many conversations with Liz about this being a dream for the church, for older women to be discipling younger women in the truth of how to be godly women and for younger ladies in the church to have living mentors and so I'm I'm praying for that if that's if you're here and you've walked with Christ for any amount of time maybe that's one of your main takeaways is I yes and amen all of this wives need to learn how to submit themselves to the leadership of their husbands and I have counsel for younger women about what that functionally and practically looks like then as a takeaway, invite a younger lady over to your house or invite yourself over and train them. The, the word is train. It's a powerful word for like this intentional, I'm not just going to see if I l- just let it happen. I'm going to proactively and intentionally go and train younger ladies in how to do this because it's not something that comes naturally. It's something that needs to be taught. Well, what are they to teach? Well, Some things are just with regards to womanhood and aren't different from things that older men and younger men are called to do and to be, like being self-controlled. That's true of all three of them. So, yes, you need to be self-controlled wives, controlling your, your passions and your desires, where here for the older women, they said not enslaved to much wine, but it's not being enslaved to anything. Like Paul writes, I I buffet my body and I make it my slave so I'm not controlled by anything. I'm not controlled by alcohol. I'm not controlled by social media. I'm not controlled by my lust or my desires. I am a slave of Christ Jesus and I belong to him and the fruit of the spirit in us is self-control. And so that's to be cultivated under the training and teaching of an older and a godly woman. But the first thing that he says is that they are to be uh, the, the language In the text, is that they are to love their husbands and children. And in the original language, Paul literally made words husband loving and children loving. So he says, Tell them to be husband loving and tell them to be children loving. And I was thinking, why this command? Because this is a command that seems to come pretty naturally for women. But I think it's because this is the place where the enemy attacks most. And so when We talked about husbands. I said the greatest enemy to a husband loving his wife like Christ loves the church is love of himself and his wife getting in the way of his own self-love. And the greatest enemy to wives loving their husbands and loving their children well is loving herself and begrudging laying down her life for her husband and her children. To begrudge the monotony and the hiddenness of family love and To want in exchange for that uh, prominence and control and authority. And I've I've seen this. I've walked through this with my own dear wife. How hard it is to have her primary calling be so secret and monotonous and constant. And to love her and to lead her through that. To say, but this is so, it, it is precious in the sight of God. For you to, the way that she loves us and lays down her life for me and for our children so that she can raise them in the fear and instruction of the Lord and the way that she loves and serves us and is a helper to me in the way that she runs and manages our home. It is a breathtaking blessing and is worthy of praise and honor. It's awesome. And the lie of the world is that that is like a second place that, that you will have value and worth and significance if you can go out into the world and make a name for yourself rather than loving and serving your husband and children in the home. But you can see as you go down the list and Paul calls uh, wives to be self-controlled and pure, he says, working at home. That literally means a keeper at home, one who looks after domestic affairs with prudence and care. It. It means that even if this does not come naturally to you, it's why younger women need to be trained by older women that wives are called to have the primary responsibility of managing the household or domestic affairs. It doesn't mean that she doesn't have massive skills and other things that she does on top of that. It just means that she cannot abdicate the calling to be a worker at home for the purpose of only working somewhere else. Paul writes the same in 1 Timothy chapter 5. He would have younger widows marry and bear children and manage their households and give the adversary no occasion for slander. So I was asking Kayla about this. She said, I think there's two extremes for this when you talk about managing your home. One would be the pressure to have a designer home that is, like, worthy of an Instagram role and just you feel like managing your household or having a... A nice household or everything being perfect and well-ordered looks like this. And if it's not this, then I'm just going to give up. And she said, these are kind of the two ditches that you live between. If if I can't have it be perfect, then I'm just going to give up and not care. And I'm going to call that being real or authentic. But wives are called to keep their homes with care and diligence, not begrudgingly, but as a primary and worthy calling. So I'm going to read as we close. Uh, text from Proverbs 31, and I want, again, to point you to Christ. These Proverbs are principles. It's not saying that your life always looks like this and that you should feel condemned if your life is not all of these things all the time. But they are wisdom from God to say, this is a glorious and worthy calling that God has given A wife. So, this is the same passage that we read earlier of an excellent wife who can find. And that word for excellent is the same word that's used for armies. It's strong and valiant, it's a virtuous woman. And in verse 13, I'm not going to read the whole thing, I'm just going to hit some quick hits of what it looks like for this strong woman to be fearless and laboring well for her husband and her children. Verse 13, she seeks wool and flax works with willing hands. So this is a hardworking woman who is willing. She's gladly servant-hearted. She prepares food for her family. Verse 14 and 15, if your husband's better at preparing food and you guys work through that, that's wonderful. This is not a law, it's Proverbs. It says, she considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hand, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. This woman's got a business running out of her home. She opens her hands to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. She's not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household is clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself and her clothing is fine linen and purple. Does that mean that you have to walk around in purple linen? No, these are Proverbs, right? But this is saying, look, she sees needs in the home and she meets them because she's a strong woman who cares well for her house. Her husband is known in the gates. When he sits among the elders of the land, she makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful, and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. So as we close, I just say that is my prayer for the women of this church it is like the holy women who hoped in God, Peter writes about. What a powerful description is that you would be women who fear the Lord and who are powerful helpmates for your husbands who love and serve you in the fear of God as men under authority. And we would have these marriages that are profoundly godly, a profound picture of Christ in the church where there is humility that rages between both people and partnership and sought after mutual sanctification so that I have in Kayla uh, a mirror that shows me ways that I'm not like Christ and I'm approachable to her and she comes to me and she shows me ways where I'm wrong and ways that I can grow as a man and as a leader and she helps me become more like Christ and I lead her and the children and I, I lead us and our family towards godliness with her help as a very competent and gifted woman and we can press on together towards Christ-likeness so that people could see our marriage and say, there's a picture of Christ in the church. Now, we fall short of it all the time. But that is to be our heart. Our desire is above my personal ambitions or what feels fair or right to me. I want to have a picture of our life that reflects Christ and the church. I want to have a relationship with my wife where both of us come out more like Christ on the other side because of the way that we submitted ourselves to God and his authority in the fear of God. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we are going to come to the table together for communion. Lord Jesus, we praise you for the way that you showed us that submission is not a bad word. That humble subjection to God-ordained authority is a beautiful and Christ-like thing. Lord, I know for wives in the room, the idea of submitting to a man who is not Christ-like seems like a scary proposition. The idea of submission to a man who is Christ-like can seem so alien and strange if If it's not been taught before or if it's been apologized for before but your word is clear and so I pray for wives all over the room that they would not just hold their nose and submit to your design but that they would do it with a gladness that this is a way that they can be a reflection of Christ and a reflection to the church of how the church ought to submit to you and I pray that the concepts of headship and submission would be so rich with humility and gentleness and kindness and love that the church is able to see more of a reflection of how we ought to submit to you and how we ought to follow you by looking at marriages inside of our church. And may the world be able to see the gospel of Christ on display that Even though you knew no sin, you became sin for us. You humbled yourself all the way to the point of death on a cross. And therefore, God has raised you to the highest place, and you are king over all. Lord, would you come and empower our Christ-like leadership and Christ-like submission. You are the goal of it all, Lord. We want you to be well-pictured by the marriages in this church, and we want to submit to you in everything. Would you help us, Lord? In Jesus' name, amen.